Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. So I was talking to a pastor friend yesterday and I talked to him to kind of like level myself out of time because he's seen me, right? And I said, man, I feel in some capacity, I still feel like I'm in prison now and I feel detached from my family some days, right? And what I'm really referring to is that um, you become so locked into what you're doing that the same way that my daughter didn't see me when I was in prison is sort of like it's been similar over over the last decade while I've been out building business. Sure. Where you pop in and you become a visitor and you become say, hey, hello, how's everything going on? Let me come to your games, but you're not present because you're thinking about business. You're on a phone call. You're in a car on a phone call. And you don't get that. But the flip side of that is that you say, hey, this is what affords us to go to the school. You know, so it's like the double-edged sword. And so uh, to your point, there's some pain that's going to happen. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. And that message today comes from Maurice Claret former national champion athlete, social entrepreneur, investor, and motivational public speaker, who today shares his story of commitment. And in today's episode, Claret offers his humble beginnings from Youngstown, Ohio, why change is simple, not easy, and how he became free of fear. So without further interruption, may I introduce to you episode 208 with the real Maurice Claret. Enjoy. Let's jump into this interview. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is an entrepreneur, investor, former national champion athlete, 
Please welcome Maurice Claret. Maurice, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful sunny day here in Ohio. Uh, can't complain. You really can't these days. Now, Maurice, no. <laughs> uh, now I, I want to make sure we mention this too. Maurice, you're an author, and I'm currently reading uh, the book One and Done. It's an inspirational tale, and we decided to kind of name this episode The Story of Commitment. Now, you're launching this new uh, entrepreneur profile, this business, this brand called Commit 13. And before we talk about commitment, before we talk about why you're so committed nowadays, let's start with number 13. What's the reason behind number 13 and why you wore that number at the Ohio State University? Well, we'll start off by saying it isn't a glorious tale. It's entertaining, right? So uh, one day I thought it was a bright idea to um, go ahead and break into one of my neighbor's houses, right? So uh, he had a, um, when it first came out, this was like 96 or 7, uh, when PlayStation just came out. This was like PlayStation 1. And uh, me and another neighborhood friend, we we went down and we broke into the guy's house. And as we were uh, breaking in the house, uh, there was a, um, uh, the, the, the game console was upstairs. So we go upstairs, we're unhooking the console. And in the process of doing so, uh, one of the residents were in the house and he had woke up. And as he wakes up, um, obviously he panics. He comes into the room, he sees us, he sees my buddy. He runs down the hallway and eventually runs down the stairs and locked himself in the room. Uh, and I was so, or my adrenaline was rushing so much, I had ran and basically jumped out of the window. And as I jumped out the window, you can't see it because my hair is kind of thicker right now. Uh, I hit my head on the window and uh, eventually like slid down the side of the house. And then I jumped over the fence that was in the backyard and I uh, bumped my head again when I fell to the ground. Uh, but later on that night, I ended up uh, going to the hospital because my head was like a uh, gash. Like it was like a, probably like the size of um, uh, almost like my, my, my pointer finger. Oof. And uh, it was a, a thick, thick gash. And they put 13 staples in the top of my head. Uh, but what came from that, it was like a, like a culmination of moments. What came from that is that mm -hmm. I went to a juvenile detention center. And uh, when I was at the detention center, there was a correctional officer by the name of Mr. Roland Smith. And Mr. Smith had actually um, pushed me to say, hey, you know, um, you, this was my third time getting incarcerated as a kid. And he was telling me that, you know, I've seen you play sports and basketball, football and run track and you can do something with, with yourself if you take it serious. And so the first year that I went to high school or and basically what happened was they put me on house arrest and he was allowed to like mentor me and sort of like guide me instead of sending me to the state institution for uh, juveniles. And I went and played my first year of high school and I kind of took uh, whatever number they gave to me, which was number one. And my second year, I didn't take it too serious. Um, well, I took it serious, but I was just doing it and going through the motions, uh, still having success. But my third year, I remember sitting in my mother's house and I kind of thought to myself, I was like, you know, how do you want to uh, redefine yourself? And I'm, think, I'm pretty sure that's what anybody, uh, whoever, like if you, if you make like um, significant and accelerated jumps in anything, I think there's like a conversation where like that period of your life has to have like a deeper meaning. And I remember like what kind of brought me to football and, and what I wanted my training to look like and what I wanted like just um, that period of my time to look like. And I said, hey, man, I want to represent it differently, everything from my number to uh, just how I do everything. And I picked number 13 because had I not got in trouble or had I not bumped my head and essentially like, you know, it's kind of like um, philosophical, philosophical, I don't have the word for it, but. I literally bumped my head and got turned turned into a new direction. And uh, that's why I picked number 13. And that kind of like redefined uh, just my approach towards everything I was doing uh, in regards to sports at that time. Now, it's, it's definitely a sign of change and and uh, a turning point 
kind of in, in your young mm-hmm. adolescence, did you kind of feel like football would be a way out for you? And, and now in the book, you kind of label each chapter about just one word that kind of defined who you were. I'm a Raider. I'm a Buckeye. I'm a starter. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that you had to become a football player and that football defined you? Uh, no, football was uh, football was just more more or less something that we did. You know, it just wasn't, you know, to think that, you know, it, I, let me put it in context. Um, you know, I'm 37 now, so you have to take like late 90s, early parts of 2000s. It wasn't as normal for a kid to say, hey, I'm going to the NFL. Um, it was like the NFL was college. If you say you went to a real college, like that was like your version of the NFL. They weren't given exorbitant amounts or, or an exorbitant amount of money to players individually. Like, yeah, some quarterbacks who made a bunch of money and obviously basketball players did, but it wasn't like football was going to be the the end all be all of everything. And so what ended up happening was that, um, you know, we, we played because we had fun. We played because it was competitive and it was a place to sort of like, sort of like show your machoism, you know, uh, back when we played, like the cool kid who played football got the girls, you know what I'm saying? So sure. it was more of like a social, like a social status and having fun and, and sort of like showing your machoism. Like, you know, guys would go in high school and spar inside of boxing gyms just to say like who was tough. That was like the the social currency, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so I never thought that that it would be a thing, but I quickly seen that uh, if I took it serious that I can get outside of my neighborhood. So initially it was like, get outside of the neighborhood. And, you know, um, in context, you know, Youngstown, Ohio was a violent place. You know what I mean? If you historically look what they got Google now, you know, per capita, we have ranked in the top 10 for murders all throughout the 90s. You know what I'm saying? So you're just talking about a, a, a violent place, a place that, you know, you wouldn't probably um, think was an ideal space to raise your kids in at that time. And if you had the resources to get out, you would get out. Um, and so football was just that vehicle to get out. But it wasn't like I, I didn't think at that time that I would go out and make a ton of money and, you know, eventually become this, you know, uh, world famous rich guy when I initially started to uh, play the game. But you always consider yourself to be great. I mean, you always consider yourself to be better than your competitors. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? Where did that toughness come from and that sense of belief come from? I think you get it from your neighborhood. I think I got it from my neighborhood. You know, I can, I can only speak to myself. Um, our neighborhood probably had 30 or 40 boys within three or four years of each other. And um, whether you're playing in the backyard, playing basketball, whether you're running from light pole to light pole, uh, doing feet or a foot race, um, it doesn't matter if you was playing football in the wintertime when you're getting tackled on the sidelines. Uh, it didn't matter if you were slap boxing. It didn't matter if you were wrestling. You know, it didn't matter if you and my brother were playing football in our living room uh, on our knees and we're slamming each other around. Uh, you just grow up in this, this competitive environment. And even when you have um, – just this tenseness and intensity through the city from so much violence, uh, it just adds an edge or a chip on your shoulder when you're doing everything. So I think a lot of that stuff, um, like, it, like it makes you transform into a character. And so as you start to compete people and compete against people and beat people and, and gain confidence, and you're the youngest guy competing against these guys, you just start to feel that uh, you have the ability to tap into a mentality that that, that they don't, right? And um, I think that that kind of transformed and, and followed me when I finally got my feet together or my feet up under me in high school. And then even when I went to Ohio State, um, I, I just, you know, anything, even if you're great in business, you know what I mean? Just think about this, you can kind of parallel this to business. Um, when I went to, when I was, at, when I went, to, or not when I was at Ohio State, when I was in 11th grade, 
uh, it was clear. I said, I didn't want to be the best in the city. I didn't want to be the best in the state. I wanted to be the best in the country, right? There wasn't even like a, a mentality to like be average. I just said, that's kind of like what I'm signing up for, right? But you can parallel to that to somebody said, hey, I don't want to make just another burger stand. I want to make McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't want to make a, a medical device company. I want to make Stryker, you know what I'm saying? Or something that's very prominent or dominant within the space. And the same thing when I went to Ohio State, um, I, I just told guys, hey, I plan on starting. And I was serious and uh, I meant what I said and I was willing to do the work. And that's what I signed up for. But I think even life is better that way when you're um, when you're clean and clear on what you want. Like when you're clear on this is the space that I want to occupy. And um, even though I may not know how to do what it is that I'm pursuing, I'm bound to at least put the uh, the work in to think or to get to the space to think a lot or to think that uh, how can I navigate through the space and also the physical work that it takes to build something special. And I think that uh, if you can just put those two ingredients in any business, you know, you have, a, you, at least you have a shot, you know, at least you have a shot. And if you show up consistently and say, hey, I want to figure something out intellectually, and I'm down to physically get up and put in the work to to build whatever it is that I'm doing, I think that you have a shot to be uh, great in business in, in some regard. Absolutely. And I think that's that's definitely a leader I would love to follow. Right, someone who knows where they want to go, someone who wants to be the greatest, who wants the greatest, not just for themselves, but for the whole. What were some of the things that football taught you? But also, what were some of the things that after you were done with football, do you kind of realize, you know, I, I can live another life. I can be great at something other than running a football. Uh, good question. Uh, the first one that football taught me, I think just... um it taught me what you get or what 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 you what you were what you will receive from um applying consistent effort to something you know uh what i mean is that you know showing up to practice every day showing up to a weight room every day showing up to film study every day uh being diligent in your preparation being diligent in your note taking being specific in your uh, your route running your 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 blocking schemes and all of the nuances um uh, whatever you put in or whatever you um, insert inside the game, you'll get all of that stuff out and you can transfer that into business. You know, the guy who doesn't study in business, he just doesn't develop a sixth sense. The guy who um, just doesn't learn from others doesn't develop a sixth sense. And those are things that you basically uh, can pick up from football and apply basically to business. Um, uh, football is, is very task oriented and very goal driven. You know, uh, some days in, in business, you know, you can you can take a day off and, and nobody feels it in sports. You can't take a day off because somebody can knock you upside your head and, and, and things of that nature. And so you have to really be sharp every day. And especially if you're trying to be great, you just want to be one of the guys in the crowd. Like, you know, hell, you know, go be one of the guys in the crowd. But to the guys who are really trying to pursue something and really trying to dominate their space, those guys are searching for something different on a daily basis at practice and in the film study and you can kind of see it, you know, look at, you know, look at some of the greatest guys who play any sport, you know, they'll tell you uh, more was done in preparation. That's why Tim Grover uh, has the book uh, when he talks about um, uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, uh, the whole book is all about preparation and, and their approach to everything. And I could just say that that's, that's what football has taught me. Uh, now, what was the second part of that question? I forgot it. Well, I was just saying after you left football and just to give our audience some context after you left uh, or you were dismissed, I guess, from the, the University mm -hmm. of Ohio State, or you just dropped football in general, you know, how did you redefine greatness, I guess, is a, is a better question. Now, you still try to redefine greatness. 
No, no, I, I, I have no interest in trying to pursue okay. anything athletically. Um, no, the, 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 the best, how I redefine greatness is no matter what you're interested in, uh, just having the ability to do it to the best of your ability, right? And um, it, 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 like football was just a thing. And I didn't realize that, you know, I had a skill set of basically being diligent, being a hard worker, um, being consistent. And I didn't realize how all that stuff can kind of transfer to any platform and how I define greatness. Um, you know, I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to divide it, define it in a broad sense, but in regards to what I'm doing is just, you have the ability to pursue and do your do the best job that you can possibly do with the skill sets that you have, you know, and also and also within that same vein, do you have the ability to delegate some responsibilities to other people? Do you have the ability uh, to hire somebody that may do a better job in your business than you may do? Mm. Uh, that's a part of it. You know, do you have the ability to uh, to do that and pursue that, you know, um, greatness? You know, are you doing something that you enjoy? You know, what I mean, uh, are you doing something that's meaningful? You know, uh, you, you'll find out. Uh, I, don't, I don't know your whole backstory, but everybody, if you're a CEO of any of any sort on this uh, call or, or you listen to this later on, um, you know, after after you get money, you take care of your basic needs and, you know, your basic comforts may be taken care of through, you know, uh, cash flow from rental properties or from dividend income or whatever it may be. You may have properties paid off. Um, I think everybody ultimately wants to get to a space that they're doing meaningful work. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I think when, when, when you talk about greatness or you hear greatness, I think that everybody has to attach themselves to meaningful work. I don't think that, you know, once you become, um, um, I don't want to say financially secure and, and the people who you lead become um, well-to-do, mm. uh, I just don't think that you get fulfilled if you're not doing something meaningful or that the work that you're doing connects to something more meaningful than yourself. I think it has to lead to something else that's uh, meaningful work. I think that's why we see a large group of people who spend the first part of their life, you know, accumulating resources, the back part of their life is basically giving it away and doing good with it. And I think that um, like when, when you talk about greatness, now, I don't know how, how those worlds connect, but, but all of what you just said kind of lives in that space with me. And I'm pretty sure that there's enough smart people on this uh, podcast that they can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. If you can find meaning in your work, your work is going to be more productive. Uh, your bottom line mm -hmm. will definitely grow. There's no doubt about it. And that's what we like to talk about here. We like to talk about uh, how you incorporate the social or environmental mission within your organization to attract those employees, to make them more productive, and to make the world a better place. What I find so special and unique about your story uh, Maurice is that you you come from nothing like you you literally came from nothing and then went to like cover of ESPN magazine back to nothing could you just bring our audience first to uh kind of into your life and kind of what I'm talking about those experiences and then I'd like to ask you four more questions about how you define meaning as well yeah, so um, just just to give a brief summary uh, for those who may not know me, um, you know, come from I come from Youngstown, Ohio. Um, kind of worked my way up through uh, just just a regular kid playing ball to being the uh, labeled as the best guy in the country uh, as a, as a high school football player. Uh, I went through or I went to uh, Ohio State, and you know, I went from being the best player in high school to uh, winning a national championship thirteen months later as a as a college kid, and then. Uh, through some some stuff was inflicted uh, personally and some stuff was inflicted inflicted externally 
uh, I got suspended from school in a nutshell. And after I got suspended from school, I eventually got drafted two years later. And uh, I, I was a bust when I went to Denver, to the Denver Broncos. Excuse me. And after the Broncos, uh, to make a long story short, I went to prison. And after after um, I went to prison, and, I, and I'll just kind of bounce around with a couple of stories that I think are relevant or think that are valuable to people. Uh, and then we'll, you know, I, I'll kind of get back to your question. But uh, I went to prison, and I love to say it, um, you know, reading, uh, when I went to prison, reading kind of saved my life. Uh, and that's like the ultimate cornerstone of everything. Uh, when I went to prison, I was able to read words and able to, you know, have conversation and, and entertain and, and become a football player that, you know, did interviews about, you know, who we played or who we had in the upcoming weeks. Uh, but I didn't, have, I didn't really see myself outside of that uh, athletic environment. And so when I went to prison, uh, one of the first, um, and, and so just to give context, my first seven months uh, was locked down for 23 hours of the day. And so that gave me the opportunity just to kind of sit with myself and think and, and just gather, just, you know, gather thoughts and deal with um, some stuff that may be on my mind that I was avoiding either through drinking, drugging, or doing whatever. Uh, but uh, just through through getting fed mail and just um, uh, sitting for 23 hours of the day, uh, I, I came across a book that I think was like instrumental in my change. It was called As a Man Thinking uh, by James Allen. Mm. I'm pretty sure if you've been in business before, uh, anybody who's ever been in business has always heard a book. And uh, it really and it really was instrumental because it taught me that um, everything that we speak, everything that we consume through our eyes, the music we listen to, the people we talk to, all that stuff eventually manifests into something, right? They're just thoughts don't, they, thoughts don't come through your mind and words don't come out your mouth without creating some sort of behavior. And uh, what it helped me to do was that it helped me to uh, understand how I got to where I was at. You know, mm. in my mind, I was this gangster who plays sports. Mm. And so I behaved like a gangster. I thought like a gangster. So I got the consequences of a gangster. Uh, but it also got me excited because I also said that, hey, if I was able to have uh, some level of power and control of creating this, uh, then I can also have some level of power and control and creating uh, a different life for myself if I acquire uh, the knowledge and the skills and the wherewithal inside of something else. And so eventually I was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. Hold on. I was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison and I went to um, uh, Toledo, Ohio. And that was the first time that I basically started reading. So we were locked down for 20 hours out the day. And uh, they, they had this catalog called Bargain Books. And I'm forever grateful for Bargain Books. And you can order books for like two, three, four or five bucks. And I treated football the same way that I treated um, uh, business. And I said, okay, I'll be too old to get out and play football. I will be 30 by the time I got out uh, up, under the, up under the sentence that they gave me. And I said, I need to go ahead and wrap my mind around doing something in business. And so I remember when I was sitting down, I was saying to myself, I said, man, you know, uh, who are some of the most successful people? Because when you're playing football, you look for some of the most successful people uh, in your sport. And so I said, okay, uh, at that time, Bill Gates was like Mr. Everything. He was the richest guy in the world, and it was Warren Buffett. And so I wasn't interested in tech. Our tech didn't connect with me as software with Microsoft. And I really didn't see a whole lot of literature on him, but I saw a ton of literature on Warren Buffett and basically being an investor. So I said, hey, man, let me pick up his books and let me just figure out how this man made a gargantuan amount of money and became who he was. And so I picked up um, any book, the Warren Buffett way or any other book, Snowball, that uh, basically spoke to Warren Buffett at that point in his life. Uh, then I start picking up books upon spirituality, uh, a series of books by Dr. David Hawkins. Uh, he's out there in Sedona, Arizona, and uh, he had True Versus Falsehood, um, Transcending Levels of Consciousness, 
um, uh, Power Versus Force. And he had a series of books that uh, helped me to uh, become more spiritually and consciously awakened um, and just being more aware of life. And if you read, if you ever read his material, you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a lot of metaphysical stuff, but essentially it's books upon consciousness and what's real and what's fake, right? Mm. So then I got into Andrew Carnegie and Napoleon Hill and I uh, really just started to look at and to read from people who have basically started America. Uh, just basically how Andrew Carnegie came over here and revolutionized the steel industry and how J.P. Morgan was basically, uh, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, which we know now was uh, basically his accountant uh, back when they were a, little, a, a lot younger. He's, he's deceased now, but uh, these are the things that I was reading from. I was reading from Titans and basically people who have built America. And it got to a point where I didn't even understand I was in prison anymore because my mind had basically escaped and went somewhere else. It's no different than if a person was at a university and they got so immersed in their work and so immersed in growing that it wouldn't matter if he was at Ohio State, USC, Oklahoma, Utah, or whatever, you would just be so immersed into who the information was basically transforming you into. And that's basically what happened to me. And um, essentially, I got out after four years, uh, but my mind and my mentality had exploded far greater uh, than I'm pretty sure anybody had ever imagined. But to me, it makes sense because I had experienced in football that anything you sort of focused on and put your energy into become obsessive about, you can have success again. And so I just did the same thing in regards to reading from um, business and spirituality, um, you know, reading The Economist on a weekly basis and entrepreneur and incorporated and fast company and the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and USA Today. And these will become like just part of like what I did on a daily basis. And um, it just made me um, a different individual, maybe more thoughtful, uh, made me more empathetic. You know, I guess I say uh, ma makes you more conscious of how your behavior connects to the world. Um, makes you um, a, a little bit more, um, I don't know, just makes you a more well-rounded person. And, um, and I think that, you know, I'm experiencing 10 years later things that I wanted to do when I initially got out. I think I went through a decade of, um, of sort of like reintroducing myself to the world, uh, just kind of showing like who I am. Um, you know, before they knew me from playing sports and they knew me from criminal activity. But I think over the past decade, I've been able to show um, just just growth in general, you know, and a level of maturity that's basically kind of stuck with me. And, and I've been able to um, like have great business partners and, you know, be able to do a bunch of cool things socially uh, in regards to the business world that I think um, it all stems and started, it started from there. Now I lost your question somewhere, but I thought no, that no, no, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who may not know me on your, on your platform. There wasn't any question. It was just a, a have you explain and bring our audience in of where you come from and how you got to this point. And, you know, there are a few things in there, Maurice, that I picked up and one was spirituality through reading those books. One mm -hmm. was business. And then one, I, you didn't really say, but you kind of talked about your partners, family relationships. How mm -hmm. does your purpose what is your purpose and how does your purpose create an alignment uh for all of those things that you can hit on all three and do it all at once to create this meaningful life um i, I say this all the time too um and this is this is actually a good question um i think i think we have purposes I, so i'll say this and then i'll talk about my purpose yeah go for it. i think your purpose evolves as you meet new people and as you learn and as you become uh, more educated, you know, because mm -hmm. I, because I, I, if you asked me something years ago, I would have said uh, something totally different, you know, and I, I'll say that. Uh, but I think that my purpose um, 
is to continue to just um, be responsible with whatever platform that I have and whatever industry that I'm in. Um, and part of that is, uh, you know, I'm in I'm in medical space. I'm in a social service space. I'm in a um, real estate space, and um, just being able to, you know, serve either give great housing uh, in the medical in the medical space that we're in, either give uh, great medical care and have a great facility that these people can walk into and have a great experience when it comes to the surgical stuff that we do. Uh, just for these people to have a great experience and. Uh, just deliver the highest part of ourselves and our business to people. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't I don't have like this dying purpose. And I feel like this is just my uh, this just my um, like this is what I think God made me for. He made me in this image to do just this one thing. I think it's just all about being responsible with uh, whatever platforms we've been given. And, you know, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I answered correctly, but that's how I feel when, when you ask the question. There's, there's no correct answer, uh, but it seems like you're you're serving everyone in every facet that you do and that service is going to continue and you're going to continue to hold yourself responsible. And that's probably the most difficult thing, right? Like committing, committing and staying disciplined to serving, staying disciplined to your business, staying disciplined to do this day in, day out. How does one take ownership? How does one stay disciplined? What have you learned through this process from coming out of prison to now being an entrepreneur an investor and someone who is inspiring other people? Yeah, I think in this part may be simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. Mm. I think every individual uh, needs a simple routine that grounds them or primes them for the day. Um, and and I, I don't think that, and I, I don't know how many people will listen to this, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people in business, they don't give time to themselves. Uh, they give it to everybody else. They get up and they become a slave to their phone, a slave to emails, a slave to the responsibilities, but one way that I um, equip myself for everything is that, you know, I wake up uh, 4.35 o'clock in the morning every day, uh, not not uh, not hard, but simple, right? And I sit down and I grab my cup of coffee, same cup of coffee every day. I sit at the table and I do a combination of drinking coffee, uh, writing my goals down, and also meditating. And the writing of the goals, um, that goes with uh, developing and being clear on intention and where you're choosing to spend your energy or where you're choosing to uh, do your focus. I go through uh, meetings in my head. So uh, in my head, I've, I've already spoken this podcast earlier. Like I think about how it is that I want to present myself. I think about the energy I want to come to places. Uh, even at the beginning of our, of our podcast, me smiling on purpose was me letting you know that I come in peace and I'm easygoing and I want to make this like a great experience and I want this thing to be uh, fruitful for both of us. It wasn't accidental. I just wasn't smiling for uh, casual purposes. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and even if there's something that I'm focusing on and there may be a sense of doubt, excuse me, I'll become curious as to why am I doubting that or I'll concentrate on the feelings that I have from that. And I'll consciously erase them and I'll try to harness up something else. So I'm making sure I'm feeling good about uh, whatever it is that I'm thinking about. And I'll go through that. And it's a simple practice. It's something that everybody can do, but people don't want to get their asses up. People want to lay in the bed. People want to roll over. People want an extra 15 minutes and they don't want to spend time with themselves. And they think like, hey, well, I'll just get that time in rolling in my car. But no, you know, it's not rolling in your car or rolling in your plane or rolling wherever you're rolling to. Get your ass up, take some time for yourself, sit down, 
focus on what you're focusing on, being clear on what you want to do. And so from there, once I got my mind together, once I got my my head together, I go to the gym. And I have a, a, a gym in, in uh, my, one of my garages over here. So I go in there and I'm constantly, um, excuse me, focusing on the amount of effort I'm giving towards that 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is uh, to basically make sure that I'm exerting energy. I'm making sure my endorphins are up. I'm making sure that everything about me is just like, uh, I'm just in a great mood. I listen, I only listen to good music. That's why I told you about classical music. I literally will turn on classical music if I'm not doing nothing just to kind of set the mood. Like I only listen to stuff that's energetic, stuff that's positive, stuff that's talking about hustling and grinding and moving and going forward. And that's like what ends up becoming part of my universe. And then from that, then I go to the world, right? And then I go meet people and then I talk to people. And then, you know, I'm pushing emails out and I'm pushing text messages out and I'm uh, and I'm happy and I'm enthusiastic. And the people who want to talk to me and the people who want to be around me, uh, they want to be around that energy or they want to do business with me because like that's the mood or uh, the energy that I'm giving off to other people. And so to me, it's fairly um, simple how it happens. But if you ask somebody to stay with you for about six or seven months of doing the same routine, they won't do it. Right. And um, it's not to say it's the only thing to do, but it, it's just my thing I do. And that's, I think, how I get results. It's so true, right? Simple, not easy. You know, and simple, and, not easy. Now, what is your message? What is your message to the people that gravitate toward you because of this energy? To, like, how do you help them sustain their habits? Uh, what is my message to them? Uh, I don't, I don't, oh, I don't have, I don't have one preachy message. You know what I mean? I, th I think if anything, if they said, what was my message without being vocal, it would be hmm. um, to be, to be in a space of doing meaningful work, uh, to do right by the people that we're doing service to our service with, uh, to be do, to do right by the people who we employ, um, to, to always be fair, um, to always, you know, tell the truth amongst each other. You know, even if we catch in the short end of the stick sometimes, just be honest with ourselves. Like if we, if we messed up and, you know, we just did something that just wasn't right, you know, hey, we fucked up. You know, that's what happens. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I, I think more of my teammates are the people who I do business with, my partners. Um, those are the things that I think that they know that uh, I, I kind of like um, are, are those those uh, mantras are ways of doing business. Those are the things that I live. That, that's how I live. You know what I mean? I mm -hmm. think that um. I don't say it, but I think we learn we learn a lot from each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean you're not trying to be something; you're just being it. This is who this is who you are now. And and how do you hold yourself accountable uh, for the, the day in, the day out, the hard times? Let's be honest; like you, you got to be facing those days where you may mm -hmm. hit a rock bottom. And even though you're exercising, even though you're doing the right thing, even though you're reading you know scripture, even though you're reading your favorite book you're still going to hit that rock bottom. What do you do when those moments come? Um, I, I think a large part of that is just the team you have. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, that's normal. You know, you, you're not going to feel 100% every day, uh, nor will you feel like executing every day. And you go through slumps and stumps. But it's really the people you surround yourself with. You know what I mean? But uh, I just have people who just are, um, you know, like like they, they have good days. They're good to be around. They're good to socialize with. They're good to crack jokes with. Um, you know, people that you can be honest with. You know, like I, I, I'll tell my partner, say, "Man, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling up to my best today." Or, you know, the, the the last two days of meetings you drain me, and I don't feel like being like Mr. Positive and Mr. Everything Maurice, right? 
Um, you know, getting over stuff where you have a deal in the palm of your hands and it's just taking a little bit slower to close, you know what I'm saying? And you're, 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 you, you become obsessive compulsive about something closing and you don't, you're not looking at everything else, the totality of your life. You just seem to be focused on that. You know, that doesn't give you the best attitude at all times. And so a large part of that is just the people we around, man, you know, uh, but these guys live similar lives. I got a one partner. He hits up every day at three 30. He beats me to the punch. You know, I get up about mm-hmm. 435. My other one guy, he's about 435. And we have another partner on the West Coast. Excuse me. And so he gets up a little bit later. But it's, it's a combination of people, right? Uh, people think they can do everything themselves. Like, life was supposed to be lived with people. You know what I mean? You were supposed to have partners. You were supposed to have uh, people you socialize with. You were supposed to have people that you made money with and shared resources with and uh, shared with how, you, how you've done what you've done. You know, um, and and I and I, I don't say that. I think that's how I stay out of um, those darker spaces more than other people. People who typically have that are like people who who typically are in like dark and selfish places are like small minded people who want to do everything by themselves. Hmm. Like you might have it might be fifteen thousand people on here, but then like you can be a CEO and be small minded and think everything is about you and think that you know just about you making money or you getting a you know a Rolls Royce or like a new car and you like going to the country club to like, you know, shit on your friends or something like that. But like, those are like small minded people who typically have like those personal issues, like people with like low self-esteem, mm. you know what I mean? Like those are the guys that I'm talking about. Um, but like, I st- and, and I'll tell you this, I start off the day being thankful, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Um, I, and I think when you start off there, you don't, you don't really, it's easy to get out of stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, I can tell you this, um, when you reflect a lot, and you are thankful a lot, you just think of somebody else who has like a horrible situation. You know, I I still keep in communication with guys who are incarcerated for life in prison. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So like, what am I really complaining about? Like the deal's not getting done fast. Mm, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's, it's not that serious. You know, we, we do, we do work in low income environments, you know what I'm saying? Um, Like we're helping to provide relief for people who can't afford rent. You know, uh, I'm helping to feed uh, football teams with, where, they, where their football programs can't afford the meals for two days. You know what I'm saying? Um, all of the work that I do in some capacity now, some of our uh, medical work, excuse me, the majority of our medical work is either in rural areas or uh, impoverished areas inside of inner cities. And so we deal with people who are far less uh, fortunate. You know what I'm saying? So... I don't know. I don't. I don't get caught up into that, and 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 I, I don't have moments. The only moments I have where I feel bad is that, and I'm pretty sure everybody can identify with this, is that um, you get so married to the work that you do that oftentimes you don't see your family as much as you would like to, mm. and that's that's probably the bigger thing. If you if you if you had a bigger conversation and everybody stripped down and they said like what's like what what, what is like one thing that hurts you more than anything is that um, it takes so much time to get something going and so much stuff to be doing in business that uh, when you finally get momentum, you don't want it to go, but you're 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 doing so much with the business that um, and it doesn't matter how much good work you're doing, you still want your time spent with and around your family because, you know, that's who you actually, um, that, that's that's your pride, that's your tribe, that's who, that's that's you, you know, that's, who, that's your lifeline, your, they, they've helped you to get to this point, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so oftentimes the business uh, steals steals that from them. And, and those are harder things. But, you know, I don't I don't get into too many dark spaces where um, 
that just become insurmountable. The, the family thing, the, the family thing is the biggest dynamic. If you want to have a guest on here to talk about something, you know, go, go, go get three or four people who can seriously uh, talk about their massive success with their companies and making millions of dollars and all that stuff. And then um, just talk about the, the, the Achilles heel that people talk about rather when you're playing golf or in a car or on conference calls and it's, Hey man, uh, we don't even see our families because we're so entrenched into doing the work. And I don't care how much work you do. Um, nothing compares to balancing it out and making sure that uh, you, you're spending time with your family and people who've helped you actually get to the point where you're at. And that's the craziest part about this all. It's like, I can't tell you how many CEOs have been on this podcast. They go, you know, I was running Anheuser-Busch. You know, I was running Burt's Bees. I was running uh, whatever, seventh generation CEOs of the company. And my wife and kids didn't even know me. You know, I had a spear in the heart moment, you know, things like that. And so when it comes to like pain and it comes to these exterior forces that can, can totally wipe us out, even though we have achieved all this artificial, let's say, or uh, not artificial, but let's say success as society defines it. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's equal? Like when you were in, and that's, that's an odd question, right? Like when you were in jail, you had your own experiences, yet you said that you were trapped and the jail was really in your mind. When you grew mm -hmm. up in Youngstown, Ohio, your father wasn't with you. He was in the area, but he wasn't really with you. He had a, your house was getting shot up. You all these different things. But now you look at your own family. Do you see any comparisons? And is that stress, is that internal battle is it the equal for everybody, regardless of your circumstances? I don't know. Regardless of your circumstances, uh, so funny, funny that you say that because I told I was talking to a pastor friend yesterday, and I talked to him to kind of like level myself out at times because he's seen me, right? And I said, man, I feel in some capacity, I still feel like I'm in prison now, and I feel detached from my family some days, right? And what I'm really referring to is that. Um, you become so locked into what you're doing that the same way that my daughter didn't see me when I was in prison is sort of like, it's been similar over, over the last decade while I've been out building business Sure. where you pop in and you become a visitor and you become to say, Hey, hello, how's everything going on? Let me come to your games, but you're not present because you're thinking about business. You're on a phone call, you're on the car on a phone call and you don't get that. But the flip side of that is that you say, Hey, this is what affords us to go to the school. You know, so it's like the double-edged sword. And so uh, to your point, there's some pain that's going to happen. Uh, and I think everybody justifies and said, hey, if some pain has to be experienced, why don't we improve our lives? You know what I'm saying? But I think that um, that takes a level of uh, consideration from the wife. It takes a level of consideration, understanding from the kids. But the kids are often too young. and They don't understand daddy's building a business or mm. mommy's building a business. They are you're just away from the home because they're peers. You know, when you're talking about um, CEOs of Anheuser-Busch or whatever company that you bring on here, you're talking about uh, fucking high achievers. You know, people who are uh, A-type personalities, people who are people who have dedicated years to get their shot. You know, people who have dedicated years, like they, they're professional athletes within their own sports, right? And so, hey, you know, um, nobody wants to give that up. And then don't don't minimize this. There's a bunch of ego that's involved, too. You know, once you start accomplishing and once you start um, 
motoring through your career and once you start moving forward, you know, there, there's a bit of that, that that makes you feel fulfilled because you're moving forward. Mm. And um, there's no such thing as balance, you know, um, and, and that's the harsh reality because oftentimes the wife's become, they receive the benefits because a lot of husbands end up, you know, let me buy my wife a car or house and let me buy these things to, to substitute, uh, to substitute me being there. Um, and I forget where I was going at this point, but I'm pretty sure everybody understands what I'm talking about. There, there becomes like this, it becomes this thing like, Hey, let me, let me try to show you what you mean to me by physically giving you a thing, right. Or taking you on a vacation or buying you the new, you know, Mercedes or Rose or a sports car, make you feel good. Um, but you know, nothing can replace time, you know, nothing can replace you being around somebody. And then you suffer because like, but then when you're around a lot, you suffer because you say, man, I could have been doing this. I could have been doing that. You end up thinking about the business all day mm. and uh, it becomes a thing. But then, but then I, I take it a step further. I ask myself, sure. uh, is that a first generation thing? Because if, if wealth has been established in your family or if finances have been established in your legacy, does the next generation think about that? Or do they become consumed with trying to establish a foundation that, the rest of the family sits on, you know, mm-hmm. and I ask myself that at a time and say, hey, are you the sacrificial lamb for uh, what your family's legacy could be? You know, and like, hey, oh, is it worth it? And oftentimes I say yes, because, you know, with the with the world that we live in, uh, in the society that we live in, you know, having resources matter. You know, you, you need to have resources. And uh, I always say you shouldn't have your kids. Your kids should struggle. Your kids should uh, work, but they shouldn't have the same fight that you have. You know, uh, you, they, they shouldn't have the exact same fight that you have. Even make it tough, make it hard, go to school, um, work your way through somebody's company, learn business, learn industry, uh, learn business uh, through from your, your, your dad, your mother, learn business from other people. But I just don't think that I would want my kid to have the same uh, fight that I had. I, and I, I don't know, I said a lot, but hopefully everybody mm. got what I was saying. Right. And, and I think where where you also were going is like the idea of commitment and the sacrifice that that takes and can you pick and choose that sacrifice and if you are sacrificing something every day you're gonna have some fear what i find so fascinating and and inspirational about you is that there's no courage without fear and certainly you've overcome many obstacles in your head because you have such a, a strong mindset nowadays how do you approach fear when a new obstacle gets in your way very easy uh i've lost everything i've experienced how it feels to lose everything so i don't like uh, you know other people have this fictitious belief on um what will something feels like if they fail or if they lose everything or something goes bad i've experienced it you know i've lost the best career that i've had in my life or at that point the nfl i lost all my money i lost literally everything And so um, I I know what the story feels like when they say, what else could happen? Like, I've I've lived that. You know, I went to prison. That's probably some people outside of death. Prison is probably like the biggest fear for people. So I don't I just don't think that there's anything that I will encounter will will bother me. Um, I think also one thing that helps me that sounds a little bit weird. um, I don't worry about or care about dying. Mm. So like everything short of dying, like I, I don't. It, it just doesn't, I don't want to die earlier than what I'm supposed to or that. But I think that, um, I think once you, once you go to the lowest of the lows and you've been to 
like just the just the depths of like your mentality and in regards to like how you feel about yourself and having low self-esteem and all that shit. And once you just um, just start to think about things that you don't want to think about, it's easier to become like comfortable with fear mm. or things that make you feel indifferent. And that's kind of like how my life has been up to this point. Is that like you're saying, like when you get to the lowest of the lows, like it, it almost like unlocks freedom for you. Like you just don't care yeah. about what people think about you. You don't care about whatever else is important. You just care about your purpose and what you are going to do day in day out like you just is that a fair like that's assumption? The, that, that is that is the core of my basically rebirth that's the core of how i've gotten where i'm at that's the core of how i was able to go sell t-shirts outside of the stadium that i ran touchdowns in when i got out of prison mm-hmm. that's the core of how i was able to go sell books at festivals that was the core of how i was i was out here doing speeches for 200 dollars. i didn't care mm-hmm. you know like i was free from like I, I like it, I was free, you know, saying losing everything helped me to be free. I don't like a person's opinion just doesn't matter because like in the big scheme of things, like nobody's opinion really matters. Like, who are you like for me to care about what you think about me? And that's not to minimize somebody as a person, but it's to say that you're not that important to where I'm trying to impress you. I care about your opinion that much. Like we don't value the same things like the, the way I look at my life and the way I value my life isn't based upon what I have. I really think that like that's it. I'm sitting here talking to you in a five dollar Costco shirt and some fifteen dollar Costco pants, and I bought probably twenty five pairs of these fifteen dollar Costco pants and about thirty packs of these shirts, right? And I wear the same thing every single day. I don't care, you know what I'm saying? Like I I I I, I don't like you know if I have to put on a suit and be presentable somewhere, but it's kind of like everything kind of sings to my life, you know what I'm saying? Mm. If you, you see me for the night, right? You like, oh, he might, he, he really liked that, but it doesn't make me. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like where I live doesn't make me. With a uh, golf club, I'm not, I don't even go to the golf club or a country club. It doesn't make me. Now, I, I don't sit in first class to say, hey, excuse me, I'm better than you. I just like, because they have larger seats. You know what I'm saying? I finally, find, like, you know, one day, hopefully I'll get to the point where I can fly a private plane because there's some places that, I would just like to go on an immediate basis. It's not because I think that I'm cooler than you. And so you start to live different, you know, saying so we stop caring about what people think and life just takes on different meaning. But I, I just like, I don't care. So I feel free. Oftentimes, um, and I respectfully say it, sometimes I, I curse, um, but that comes from, I just don't care. Like, I, like I, I don't, I, I don't have to come on your show and be decorated. I don't have to come and say, I got these accomplishments. I don't have to, you know, have like a cool background. I don't, I don't have to do that, bro. You know what I'm saying? Because like I was in prison and I had nothing and I had friends and people liked me just because I was me and I could talk and have a conversation and make them laugh and we could be cool. And when I got out of prison and I didn't have anything, like I was still with the same woman. She's still with me. I couldn't buy her diamonds and pearls and a private jet, you know what I'm saying? But she still loved me for me. And I think that um, that's the you know, I've been able just to understand who I am and I've been able to have people like me for me uh, because even that's a prison right there. You can have all this stuff, but every person knows that somebody likes you for you or the lifestyle that you're providing for them. You know, so if somebody be listening to this in a car and they can be next to a woman who just doesn't like them for them. They just like you for what you do or what you provide. You can have friends around you and that's a prison and you can be, you can have a a, a luxurious prison. You know, you can walk in your closet and 
you have Birkin bags and Gucci bags. And, and you say to yourself, like, man, if I didn't provide all these things, would this person really love me? Would this person really be next to me? If I really lost everything, would this person come and uh, help me to rebuild? Would this person come and visit me in prison if I had to go to a federal prison? If everything was out the windows, would my kids still love me? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just, I'm in a different world. I know what you're so saying. When you talk about fear, when you, when you talk about fear, I don't, I don't have like, so I tell you like this, I fear, uh, I walked outside like four o'clock one morning and it was a massive deer in my yard. And I was like, holy shit, you know, I'm from the city. I don't know about deer. <laughs> so I fear stuff like that. You know, brothers in the hood ain't seeing a massive yeah, deer. No, I get you know it. what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, so, so that, you know, that made me feel, feel uncomfortable. But any, anything other than that, man, I don't, I don't really fear. Well, I know exactly what you mean the reason i'm smiling so much is because what you're doing is dissolving the ego and feeding the soul you you found it you know you're authentic mm -hmm. now and that translates in everything that you do and i think that's why people gravitate toward you now and so you know yeah when it comes to business now the things that you're trying to do this brand commit 13 the investing part uh the the social philanthropy um the the service the connections, the partners, everything that you do, how do you incorporate, you know, this authenticity into your leadership, into your management, into your relationships? And how are you able to balance all of these different initiatives while also still being authentic to, to the, you know, the people who need you the most? Uh, the first thing, just as simple as it sounds, just be yourself at all times. You know, don't, don't tell me anything other than you are. Understand. I, I think the cornerstone of, of that is understanding my limitations. Um, I think that 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 is probably like the biggest thing, understanding where I'm smart at and where I'm not so smart. And also understanding the skill sets of the people around me who allow me to, I don't know, who, who, who just allow me to be myself within what we do and understanding the talent around me. I think that um, from being in sports so much and being around football, that's a lot, that's basically been a benefit to me, understanding talent and, you know, putting talent where it needs to be. Um, the second part of that, I, I was, I, the second part of that made me want to answer or think of, um, just what I just said, just the people around me. What was the second part of your question? How do you, I lost it in regards to what we talked How do you balance all these initiatives while also being authentic to the people who you love the most? How do I balance all these initiatives? Uh, one, I, I keep coming back and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's the team of people who you have. Mm. And you have to have a great team of people because they help me to balance. Like I, I'll give you a prime example. So uh, the one man I got to give the most credit to uh, because he's just taught me a tremendous amount about business in general is uh, Dr. Vladimir Zietzer. Uh, he's, from, he's from California. Uh, I, I just called my man. Um, okay. Probably has been... Uh, just, just one of the, the, the most, um, in, in regards to business, I've learned more from him than okay. I've learned from anybody in the past 10 years. Um, I have another guy, his name is Eric Angaro. He's from back from Youngstown. He helps to keep me grounded and, uh, just helps to talk about life, business, politics, and, and how it all intersects. Mm -hmm. You know, I have another guy, um, and, and Eric has been a politician for the past 30 years, a football coach and a teacher. Uh, and so his his perspective and, and why we're friends is totally different than all this other stuff. Uh, I have another guy, Mike Leach. Mike Leach was, you know, CFO for Nationwide for Nationwide Insurance for 20 years. He just left a couple of years ago. Mm. 
you know, was was in charge of managing billions of dollars and just having him around. Another guy, Brian Inkarat, and his uh, professional career and what he's accomplished. And so how do I balance it all? I've been able to balance it from having great teammates. Mm. I'm telling you, it it's, it's really comes down to having great teammates, having, being in a situation where you don't have to do all the thinking, being in a situation where um, people respect your opinion and they'll... Um, one, they respect your opinion. They they care when when you lean in with it, and um, uh, and they help to correct your thinking when it when it when it's flawed or or it has some error. And that's how I don't know. That's it. That's how that's how all this stuff works, man. Definitely. You know, and I'm I'm very yeah I'm very fortunate of it. Well, it makes sense. You know, I mean, that's what got got you started with Roland, and that's what's keeping you going now. This the yep. support system, this community, this mentorship. It's just a fascinating feat. It's a you know, just something that's so underrated. And to think that a lot of people think that they don't have people they can reach out to is very, um, it's very sad. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just hope for anyone listening to this, you know, they, they do reach out to those people um, or or take a chance and reach out to someone new. And I think that could definitely make a big change in your life. Now, Maurice, we talked a lot today about uh, just staying committed, what that means to you. And you've been so authentic yourself. So the last question I'll ask you on this show today, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? Um, I think when you asked me that, the first thing is somebody who's, who's clear on who they are. I would say that uh, someone who understands that a leader is just the best servant of the people that they're in charge of, um, servicing their needs, servicing, uh, giving great direction, um, allowing other voices that happen to be stronger than theirs within, you know, whatever mission that they're doing, allowing those voices to, um, to surface to the top and, and to, uh, feel that they've contributed. Uh, someone who's a, a visionary in some capacity, you know, someone who can who can let people know that while you spend your time with me in this life, uh, I'm looking to improve it, looking to make it better, looking to um, looking to be happy that you connected with me and follow my direction. Uh, someone, you know, and just someone who who has integrity, um, mm. patience. Uh, someone who has drive and most of all commitment, you know, um, like they say, your determination determines your destiny. But when you say that, the track that that has to sit on is commitment. You know, saying so you can't, like I say, determination determines destiny. But the but the railroad track of that is commitment. You know, can you show commitment over a period of time? Can you show discipline over a period of time? Can you can you do that? You know, those, those are things that uh, when, when you ask me what a leader is or who a leader is. Or how would I define it? Um, I don't have a clear statement, but those things that I just named, I think are uh, characteristics and traits or things that I think about when I think of a leader. Absolutely. I agree here. And we appreciate you coming on the Realtors Podcast today, Maurice. For Maurice Clore, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be clear on who you are, stay committed, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Maurice. Appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Maurice Claret. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Now it's time to open it up for a few questions for you all listening out there. And Maurice, we had a few fly in during that episode. And the first one comes from Kevin. And Kevin asks, Maurice, you could be bitter as your path to chase your dreams was interrupted. They were the rules of those days. 
but not today with the new NIL. We all know there is a young Maurice out there where these new and deserved benefits changed everything. So what would you be, what would your message be to that person that may get these benefits earlier? Who may get these benefits earlier? Ooh, good question. Uh, because it's not simple and it's not easy. Uh, one, I'm all for the young guys getting uh, benefits and getting compensated for their talent. That's one. The second part is that as you get finances, you need to have and folks if you want to hear the rest of maurice's answers well you have to be a part of our free community where you can lock access to live interviews and ask the guests your direct questions after the show all you have to do is go online to reallyers.com podcast and click on any upcoming interview to attend the show live also for all the folks listening on apple podcasts thank you appreciate you help me out leave us a review let us know what you liked and how we can improve the show be honest lastly if there's a leader who is driving change in your community please email me directly at b at real-leaders.com that's be at real-leaders.com that's it for me thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real